Thank you, Rick and Jamie. That song was a kind of followed the sermon this morning, didn't it? There's joys that await me when I've gone the last mile of the way. Back in James chapter 1 this evening. James chapter 1 this morning. Uh, I'm going to try not to take too much time tonight because we've got some exciting things to take care of here in just a little bit in business meeting. And I'm just going to say that because the folks at home need to know what they're missing. Now, I'm not going to tell them what they're missing, okay? You had to have been here to find out. You'll have to call one of us later, and we'll tell you. But it's exciting, and you've got time to get here. I'll hold off just a little while if you want to drive over here, if you're watching online. But this morning, uh, we, we took an in-depth look at uh, what James has to say about going through hard times in life, through trials in life, difficulties. You know, we said it's absolutely clear we're going to face hard times in life. We're probably going to face hard times this week in one way or another. There's different variations, different levels of hard times, so to speak. But here's the truth about hard times that we learn as we continue to study in the book of James is that you can't go through a hard time without learning something. You realize that? Every time you go through a difficult season in life, you have a bad, uh, bad day, a bad moment, you can't go through that without learning something. Sometimes we don't realize we learned anything. We look back on those experiences and we figure out that we learned something, but it's how we apply what we learn that's the, that's the, uh, the subject of tonight's Scripture passage. So begin reading with me in James chapter 1. We're going to start back in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you so much, again, that you give us your word, that you tell us how we can learn from the hard times in life. Thank you that you promise to give us the wisdom to apply that, those, those lessons when we ask. And I pray that tonight you'd open our hearts, open our minds to the word that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a casual reading of the text, as I have admittedly done uh, several times before, can, can look like there may be a disconnect between this morning's text and then where we pick up in verse 5 tonight. I've read it like this before. But in verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. End of thought. New thought, new topic. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But then when we go back and read it all together, we say, wait a minute. This is one thought. This all goes together. In verse 4, James says that the proper application of what we learn in trials causes us to grow and mature in the faith. That's what we looked at this morning. But there's oftentimes a big problem. What if we don't know how to apply what we learned? 
What if we don't know how to apply what we learned? It makes me think about, go back to college again, to the class that I dreaded the most. Well, I don't know if I dreaded it or world literature the most, but Spanish. Okay? Spanish class. It was bad. I know, I think I probably told you before that I failed it. There is a big fat F on my college transcript. That professor told me I was going to pass. And I got my grades for the semester, and I didn't. It was my fault, so she said. <laughs> but here's the thing. I passed it the second time I took it. Different professor. But here's the thing. I could sit in class. I could listen to her teach, and she was talking about conjugating verbs or whatever you do to them. I don't remember now, but I could back then... You could come up to me later. I could tell you what she said about how you conjugate the verb and do this and that. But I couldn't apply it. I could tell you what you're supposed to do, but then I couldn't turn around and apply it and tell you anything in Spanish. Okay? I had some of the head knowledge, but I didn't have the practical way to put it into action. And that's what happens a lot of times as we go through trials. We have the head knowledge of what we learned, but we don't know how to put it into action so that we don't have to repeat the same thing again. Sometimes the lessons in life just don't make sense. And so we need the wisdom to know how to apply it. Wisdom, we hear that word, and you think of some philosopher from long ago, some gray-haired guy. I'm not saying anything about because I've got quite a bit of it up here, okay? But we think about wisdom being something that's just over our head. But wisdom isn't some philosophical information that only those with the highest of intellect have. As James sees it, wisdom is just simply applying the practical knowledge that we've learned to our life situations. It's been said, in, in one of the commentaries I read, said, said knowledge is knowing how to take something apart, but wisdom is knowing how to put it back together. See, that's what we're talking about. Knowledge is knowing how to take it apart. Wisdom is knowing how to put it back together. How do we put life back together when we face these trials? And so let's look at what James says. In James chapter 1, we get down to verse 5. We've gone through the trial. It's perfecting us as we exercise our faith. But if you're having trouble putting it into action, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks the knowledge of how to put it back together, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He says the first thing you do, he says you need to ask God. Now, if we were looking at this in, the, in James's original writing, we would know that the Greek here is an imperative verb. He's not suggesting that you ask. James is giving a commandment to his readers and to us that as Christians, if we don't know how to apply the lessons of life, we're commanded to ask God so that we get it right. He says, ask God. And notice what he tells us to ask God. He asks, tells us to ask God for wisdom. He doesn't say that if you're going through a hard time in life, you ought to ask God for strength. He doesn't say we ought to ask God for a little extra grace. He doesn't say that we need to ask God for a little extra time to deal with something. 
he says we need to ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. You know, probably one of the most common things that I was thinking about, what types of things do people go through over and over and over? And probably in our society today, one of the most common problems people face is money problems. And you don't point at anybody, don't anything like that. You think in your mind, and you're thinking about somebody you know, maybe it's you. And it's just constantly, over and over again, money problems come up. And money problems come up again. And it seems like just a few months ago, they were having money problems. And now you hear they're having money problems again, and you think, why are they always having money problems? Well, you say they're not applying the lesson they learned last time. You know? One lesson, don't spend money you don't have, and then you don't have money problems, right? You say they didn't learn that last time. Well, they must not be asking God for wisdom about their money. What if you ask him, did you know, I, I hadn't gone through and counted, but I've heard it said from reliable sources that this book mentions money more than it mentions heaven. You think God's got something to say about money problems? James says, if you lack wisdom on how to apply what you learned when you went through the problem, ask God and he'll tell you. This book will tell you exactly what to do with your money. And it doesn't just have to do with tithing. There's a lot more that this book says about money than just tithing. And so what we often see instead are people applying human solutions to their problems that don't work. And they go through the same problem over and over and over again. James says, ask God for the wisdom on how to apply the knowledge you've learned in your problem instead of repeating it over and over again. So ask God. The next thing we see is that God gives liberally. He gives liberally and without reproach. Look at that word liberally. Now that could have a bad connotation in some circles today. Because we get, you know, that word has been perverted, so to speak. Liberal. We are not talking about the Democrats, okay? This, somebody might say, well, this says God's a Democrat. No, it's not. God's apolitical. He's not, in our, he's not involved in the politics. But it says God gives liberally. That means God gives generously. God gives generously. He won't hold anything back. But I like the next one the best. I like that God gives generously. But I like it a lot more that he gives without reproach. And so I looked at that and thought, you said, what does that mean? It means he gives without reprimand. Now, you may have experienced a child who messed up and did something wrong. And they didn't want to come tell you about what they did because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. When all along, you would never have reprimanded your, reprimanded your child. You may have allowed them to learn from the lesson. You may have told them how to fix it, but if they'd have just come told you about it, the problem would have never gotten as big as it was if they'd have just told you about it in the first place. But they didn't because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. James is saying here, don't be afraid to ask God. Don't think you're going to get in trouble with God if you ask. Because here's the thing. Now, your kid's back in their bedroom with drink they're not supposed to have. And they spill that drink and it just sits there. They didn't tell you about it. This has not happened at my house. I'm making this one up on the fly. 
They didn't tell you about that drink getting spilled because they didn't want to get in trouble. And by the time you found it, the carpet's sustained. It's never going to come clean. Okay? But guess what? When we spill the Kool-Aid, so to speak, God knows instantly. We're not hiding it from him in the first place. And so there's no reason not to go to him about it because he already knows. But he says he's not going to reprimand. There's going to be no reproach. He's not, God's not going to look at us and say, why did it take so long for you to come ask me for help? You should have asked me sooner. God's not going to do that. God's not going to look at us and say, oh, you want my help in, a, in fixing your problem? You're not worthy of my help. Because guess what? We know we're not worthy of his help, and he does too, but he's still willing to help. He gives generously, and he gives without reproach. He says there at the end of verse 5, it will be given. He gives with certainty. We have to understand that there's no other source for wisdom in dealing with life's problems than God. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture in Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28. I invite you to turn there with me if you'd like to. A beautiful passage of Scripture. and In the preceding chapter, Job has agreed that, you know, the wicked suffer. And Job has been suffering. And the fact that the wicked suffer explains nothing in Job's case because Job was righteous. But Job's explaining to his friends here, that God's wisdom is completely beyond comprehension. Read with me in Job chapter 28, beginning in verse 12. Job says, Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me. And the sea says, It is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire, neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed in the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. Did you hear that? Where's wisdom? God knows where it's at. Nothing else, no other creature, no other being knows where wisdom is. God knows where it's at. It doesn't come from natural knowledge. And I love this. John MacArthur reminds us in one of his commentaries on this text from Job. What God does not reveal... We cannot know. What God does not reveal, we cannot know. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, despite what some of the televangelists say, God's not going to reveal something directly to you 
unless it's already written down here. This is the entire revelation of God in printed form. God's not going to reveal anything extra outside of this. So as we seek wisdom to apply the knowledge from our trials, we're only going to get the wisdom if we read what he says. He'll give it to us. He'll direct us to the place where it's at. As we read, he will help us to gain understanding of what we're reading so that we can apply the knowledge from the trials. But this is where the revealed wisdom of God comes from. Right here. James describes this kind of wisdom from God over in chapter 3 of James. In verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without uh, partiality and without hypocrisy. That's beautiful wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom that I want to gain. But there's only one condition placed there in James chapter 1 on this wisdom. There's one condition placed on how we gain this wisdom. He says, you want this wisdom, ask for it, but ask in faith. You want God to grant you understanding, ask in faith. In verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. William, Bar William Barclay pictures this man as having an internal civil war with two souls. That's what, when he says he's double-minded, James is saying the man's got two souls. One soul that trusts God and believes God, and one soul that's looking for man's way to solve the problem. And James says, he's like he's tossed about on the waves. You ever watch the waves? What do they do? They go in or out, and they go in. I'll get my hand motions right in a minute. They go out, and they go in, and they go out, and they go in. And they're unstable, and they're never in one place. And James says, the one who doesn't ask with faith, doesn't really believe God has the answer, but I will find the answer some way on my own to how my troubles ought to be applied to my life. That person is unstable. That person is warring within themselves. That person will never have the wisdom of God. And what did chapter 3 say about the wisdom of God? What is one of the things it brings? Peace. If we don't ask in faith, we'll never have peace peace, if we want that genuine peace in our lives, if we want to grow into what God wants us to be, we can't simply survive through the tough parts of life. We've got to be willing to ask God to show us how to apply the lessons we've learned. We've got to ask in faith. And then in faith, we've got to open this book and seek the answers. That way we don't have to keep experiencing the same troubles over and over and over again. Is there anything before we continue 
in the service this evening. If not, Brother Eric will come and we'll move into the business meeting.